It's time to get your checking account to zero with free checking from PenFed. That's zero ATM fees, zero balance requirements, and zero time spent waiting for your paycheck to direct deposit because you can receive it up to two days early. Open your account with just $25 and see how big zero can be. Apply online today at penfed.org slash free checking. Early direct deposit eligibility may vary between pay periods and timing of payers' funding. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. Right now at Safeway, save on all your favorite home scents and cleaning products for a fresh, clean home. Shop for deals on items like Glade candles and plug-ins, Febreze air fresheners, Clorox cleaners, Swiffer wet cloths, or Scotch-Brite sponges. Plus, deck the halls and shop for deals on items like mini light sets, holiday wrapping paper, holiday candles, and holiday cards. Offer expires December 26th. Restrictions apply. Promotions may vary. Visit Safeway.com for full offer details. Luke and Matt. This could be a podcast. A podcast? Don't you have to be some sort of whiz kid to do those? Uh, definitely not. Anyone with a computer can make one. Talking telly. Use your ears and trust them. This is the Custard TV Podcast. Yes, that would entertain me briefly. From thecustardtv.com. Welcome back to the Custard TV Podcast. The TV podcast for TV lovers from three TV obsessives. Your obsessives this week are me, Luke, hello, um, Matt in the north. Hello, Luke. It's uh, Stephen Patterson. Hello. How has your week been? Um, you've, Stephen, you've watched a lot of TV for us, but have you watched a lot of TV in general since you know all the new shows started? Um, well, mainly the ones that I've been reviewing. Other than that, not an awful lot. I mean, I've never seen Luther, so I've been binge-watching it from the beginning recently. But yeah, other than the ones that are currently on, not an awful lot. So where are you on Luther now in the binge? Uh, literally episode three. Yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to get good. It's going to get good. Yeah. Then it's going to go a bit crazy. <laughs> then it's going to get good again. Then I liked get it when it was crazy, crazy, though. You know me in bonkers things. I, I don't think it's been a bad start in terms of new shows for the new year. In fact, we've picked four this week mm-hmm. to discuss. Uh, they are as follows. Uh, Better Things, new US comedy on BBC Two. Cleaning Up, new ITV drama on ITV, funnily enough. Uh, Manhunt on ITV as well, including a chat with writer Ed Whitmore, which I will insert within the podcast. And finally, new Netflix UK original series, Sex Education, which launched worldwide on the streaming service this past Friday. Um, But before all that, there was a big ceremony in Los Angeles that none of us attended, I'm (laughs) assuming. It it was the Golden Globes. A a big favourite of ours, the Americans won uh, Best TV Series, which you should have done at the Emmys, really, as well. I mean, Game of Thrones won that, and and who cares? Um, Beating uh, some of our other favourites, like Homecoming and Killing Eve and... Bodyguard, and one we have yet to get on these shows, Pose, which is another FX show that I think is coming later this year to BBC, isn't it? A bit of an upset in the musical or comedy TV series category with the Kaminsky Method um, beating uh, The Good Place, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel and Barry. I mean, I liked the one episode I saw of The Kaminsky Method, but those those shows it's up against are just mammoth shows that it should be... was there as well for some reason. Yeah, I didn't quite get that. Another of our favourites, Assassination of Gianni Versace, um, won the limited TV series, um, motion or motion picture made for TV, 
beating sharp objects, a very English scandal, and um, Escape at De Mora, which we talked about last week. They're all very good. Darren Chris <laughs> in there, um, winning for Versace um, against uh, Hugh Grant for a very English scandal, um, and Benedict Cumberbatch for Patrick Melrose. Stephen, you love Patrick Melrose. What was it about it that you... Because it's one of those rare situations where I just couldn't see what other people saw in that at all. It just didn't appear... Although, to be fair, we only watched the first episode and I believe it changed sort of episode by episode, didn't it? I think it was the fact that it was such a completely different to anything I've ever seen before. The tone, the the eccentricity of it, Benedict Cumberbatch was more eccentric than it... In this than I've seen him in anything I, before. I struggle with him being eccentric. Yeah. He's always playing that in, in, in every role. So when he turns it up to 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, uh, it gets a bit much for me. But it might be one that I'll go back to because it's one of those rare things where everybody I respect really mm. likes it. Best actress in a drama series uh, went to Sandra O oh for Killing Eve, which we're all very happy about. Strong we are, but why was Jodie Comer not even she's nominated? She's not been nominated in any of these, because, probably because she's not American and the Americans don't really know who she is. It's one mm. where there's two lead actresses and they've decided to pick one over the other, I suppose. Possibly the biggest surprise, um, actor in TV drama, uh, Richard Madden winning for Bodyguard. That completely steps over my point about English actors. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, well done. <laughs> point not well made. I, I don't know about that, really, because my feelings t- about Bodyguard shifted so much as the show went on. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't that good of a show. And his performance was almost too intense, really. I, mean, I don't know. Who else was in that category? Um, Matthew Reese, who really should have won it for the Americans. Um, yeah. Jason Bateman for Ozark. Gone to Matthew Reese. Yeah. Should have. Mm. That was I a, mean, that, that and, was a... and the other one, as much as we love Sandro, should have gone to Carrie Russell. At least Matthew won the um, won the Emmy. Uh, Carrie Russell, I don't think, has been awarded enough for a role in that show. It, at the Golden Globes, what they do in the supporting category is they put it all together. So it's sort of supporting actress for any role. Uh, Patricia Clarkson for Sharp Objects won over the likes of Alex Borstein for Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, Yvonne Strakowski for Hammer's Tale, um, and Penelope Cruz for Versace, and finally Ben Whishaw, another British actor, one supporting actor for a very English scandal over an odd collection of Henry Winkler, Alan Arkin, Kieran Culkin, and Edgar Ramirez. That's like my dream <laughs> dinner party. <laughs> <laughs> the odd spot of the evening was seeing Jeb Mercurio at the Golden Globes looking very out of place. I suppose he's enjoying, or because he didn't look like he was enjoying himself. To be fair, I've I've seen him at a few things and he never quite yeah, looks no, like he's no, doing No, I have so. as well. We both have, haven't we? <laughs> yeah. But um, Line of Duty airs on Hulu over there, but it hardly gets any sort of kudos. So I suppose that being on Netflix is good for him, at least, and getting some notice for Bodyguard. But do you reckon he will do another one? Because I don't know how you can. I don't see how it's particularly possible to do a second one after the way the first one ended. Well, also, as I said at the time, he wasn't a bodyguard for 50% of the <laughs> programme either. And how can he go back to being a bodyguard <laughs> after all the horrendous things he's gone through and seen and all the rest of it? I think just call it bod. 
<laughs> but this time it's personal. Yeah, Thank you so much for your uh, kind words on social media about the new look podcast, the new sound of it, and the new format. Been very kind. Some nice comments coming in. Thank you for that. Uh, we're also looking for a show to either discover or rewatch as a collective. Uh, we're going to pick a show, we're going to watch one episode a week or two, possibly if it's a slower week, and we'll all watch it together collectively and uh, all be on the same page. Uh, so it's got to be something that's easily accessible, either on Netflix or uh, catch-up services. Get in touch uh, on Twitter, at CustardTVPod, or to myself, at LukeCustardTV, or even better, stick it in an email, then I can bookmark it and I won't lose it. CustardTVReviews at gmail.com. That's the rewatch. Get in touch now, and uh, we'll try and sort something out with that very soon. The social media question this week was, what was the most disappointing Netflix series? This is because we are reviewing... Uh, the new Netflix series, Sex Education. Mine was a suggestion that no one brought up on Twitter. Uh, Friends from College, which I found very disappointing. I know I liked the look of it. I liked the trailer. I liked some of the people in it, like Kobe Smulders. Um, obviously, Fred Savage of uh, Wonder Years fame. It was written by um, Keegan-Michael Key, who is a good sort of comedy presence. But I just thought all the characters, apart from maybe Kobe Smulders, were so unlikable. And so sort of smug. I just didn't like the world very much. It just wasn't for me. And I, I felt that it was a missed opportunity, even though it is coming back for a second season soon. I've, I've it's seen it. It's now. Is it? now if you want to watch it. Yeah. Is it? When did it come yeah. out? Friday. Why are we not reviewing it? Well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's mine. Friends from college. What about you, Stephen? Have you got one? I haven't seen as many as I would have liked, but out of the ones that I have seen, I would have to say 13 Reasons Why. I enjoyed the first season. It wasn't it's not something I'd ever find myself wanting to go back and rewatch. But then when the second season came out, it changed. Since there wasn't enough material, the writers had to change stuff that they'd already established in the first season. So there was a load of continuity errors, and the whole plot oh. of the second season just felt completely pointless. So... Uh, what I did enjoy out of the first season is no longer there, and neither it's tainted. Bring... Yeah, exactly, and neither bringing it back for a third season. So I just don't even think I'm going to bother watching. Mine would have been uh, Friends from College, but I'll go for a different one. Um, I, I, you know, it was mentioned a few times. Disenchantment, which was the Matt Groening return to yeah. form, supposedly. We'll, we'll return Netflix. to an original, a new original series yeah. from Matt Groening. I really struggle with this because there's no really likeable people. The voice cast aren't really that entertaining. It's a, sort of a confused thing where it seems too adult for for kids to watch it, but not smart enough for a complete adult viewing. I, I watched uh, three episodes and I just, you know, I had to sort of say to myself, just because it's Matt Groening who created the best, you know, animated sitcom in a long time, doesn't mean that it's going to be great and I had to give up on it. But again, as is the way with Netflix, that's coming back for more. So all three of our most disappointing shows are coming back for more because Netflix does that and I don't know. Mm. And actually, I would say Orange is the New Black. I saw that late in in uh, in its run and I started it from the beginning and it was another case where I just couldn't see what people saw in it at all. I thought the tone was all over the place. I didn't connect with any of the characters and, and I persevered for longer than perhaps I should have. 
But yeah, that's not one that I rate at all. And that's coming to an end this year, so... So let's go to the uh, the old uh, social media sphere. Um, Daryl Miller, at Daryl underscore Miller, um, agrees with Luke and says, Disenchantment, was looking forward to a new Matt Groening series, but found the pilot painfully uncomfortable to watch. Andrea Mullaney, at Pandria 100. Will Arnett's Flaked, which um, I hadn't known about. She said, unpleasant and boring, just sheer self-indulgence. Has either of you watched that? I think, again, I just watched one. You know, was it a sitcom it. or it is but it's one of those sitcoms where the lead is like a recovering alcoholic or something yeah. and everyone's a, he's a bit of an arse and everyone around him a bit of an arse see Will Arnett works as part of an ensemble but if he's the lead I find it's a, it's quite insufferable um, uh, Mo Walker at Dr Mo 77 says Iron Fist Danny Ram was such an insufferable yeah. lead Finn Jones was much more interesting on Game of Thrones series 2 was better but still needed work I think I had like two episodes after the first season, and because I'd heard so much bad stuff about it, I was expecting <laughs> it was. I rather enjoyed it. I thought it was better oh, than okay. Edge, which was the one that came out before that. Um, Erin at Erin's hasn't got one, as she says she hasn't had Netflix for very long. But she said it's easy for a lot of shows to be quite disappointed because of the vast number of series that Netflix is yeah. producing today. Which is... amen. Yeah. Uh, Lauren Jones is back again. Um, it's a controversial uh, one, but she says Stranger Things stuck with it for four or five episodes and then gave up. I thought it was dreadful, and some people did have that reaction to um, to Stranger Things. But no, I li- I liked it. I I think. It had that sort of nostalgia element, I think. If you watched a lot of those films that the that sort of was the basis for it when you were younger, I think that was the key to it. Because I'm not a massive sci-fi fan either, really. But the elements that worked for me were the sort of the camaraderie between the friends and things like that. Stranger Things yeah. would probably be my favourite Netflix original. I really love that. Uh, it's the only one out of all of the Netflix originals that I watched that I will like take the Friday off that it comes out and watch it the whole way through. Are you counting down now to the 4th of July? Yeah, exactly. It's my second most anticipated show this year after Game of Thrones. <laughs> Goodness uh, me. Um, Your year is already panning out quite busy. It really is, isn't it? Um, Palm at Palm by the Sea. Gypsy. Love Naomi Watts. That, that was show. horrendous, wasn't it? That was really bad. Gus One, I am Gus One said, Iron Fist again. That was an open goal missed. Well, Adrian says, that well, Adrian says, doesn't proffer up a show, but does say I'm on the verge of cancelling Netflix. I've done it before. It doesn't take long to exhaust their supply of anything that is worth watching. Subscriptions are worthwhile for ease of use, but when the content gets so thin, support of them as a company doesn't seem deserved. In Canada, Netflix has a much smaller library than US or UK. You know, I feel like we learned something from the social media corner as well. It's not just which is your least favourite show. It's an education. And um, Tim Kelly, a friend of yours, Luke, um, at Topper Kelly 1, he says, I have to say, the Matt Groening fantasy show, I was so excited for it, watched for a few episodes, haven't returned. I should give it more time and realise that it will never be the Simpsons or Futurama and that it's his own thing, but being a fan of both and fantasy, I wanted more, which is fair enough. Um, Last week's guest host, Michael Lee, he says Maniac, dreadfully dull and pompous. Now, I don't know how far he got with this because I struggled with the first couple of episodes of Maniac but ended up really enjoying it as a whole. I would recommend it because I liked it as it went on but it is one of those that you need to give your time to early on because everything that happens in the early episodes does come back later on. Oh, yes. Luke, you tried with it and got out I may well go back. I've got about to three. 
it always comes back, and I'm sure we'll bring this up again later when we get into the bulk of the reviews, of how many yeah. episodes you need to give a show before it can get into its groove and, and whether it's right or wrong to watch one and ditch it. It's something I, I always wrestle with, and I think it's something that Netflix banks on you watching mm. more than one because it and some people it do do that. I know couples who do that find show to watch over the weekend and watch them all. But you know, I don't think, and we've said this before, that TV should be like that. Particularly, it's a different medium than than film. And just one more, um, Suki Cork at Cyberman underscore one five one. He says one of my kids suggested we watch a comedy called All About the Washingtons. Not funny. Um, I, I had not heard of this at all, and, and watched the watched the trailer. It's uh, Reverend Run from Run DMC, and it looks like a really old-fashioned sitcom where he decides to give up hip hop and look after the kids so his wife can be an entrepreneur and hilarious in the shoes. Um, that was my screenplay. <laughs> <laughs> he also says disenchantment should have been better and reboot which i think is a, um, a cartoon so it, i think disenchantment is the is the winner there and i think if we learn anything else it's don't let your kids pick the show you want <laughs> so for next week uh, the social media question will be uh, what's our favorite first episode of a tv show so any tv show what was your favorite first episode and tell us why as well as always, at Custard TV Pod on Twitter or at Luke Custard TV if you want to talk to him directly, who would? Um, Custard TV Reviews at gmail.com or Custard TV Podcast on uh, Facebook. This is the opposite, I suppose, to what we were just saying. The point of the first episode is to make you desperate to watch the next one. So, what is your favourite first episode? What were you just so keen to see the next one of? whether it was on a streaming service or just normal TV, I would really have to think about that. Mm. Really, well, there you really go. Like, yeah, and it's, I don't like You've got a thinking. week. That's a good one. Favourite first episode. Have a think. Let us know uh, through all the mediums that Matt went through there. So, it's reviews time. Where do we want to start? Should we do Manhunt first? Yes. Yeah. Starred Martin Clunes as DCI Colin Sutton. Right now at Safeway, get your skin winter ready with big savings on all your favorite skincare products. Shop for deals on items like Gillette Mach 3 Razors, Gillette Labs Razors and Blades, Venus Razors and Blades, and Native Shampoo, Conditioner, and Body Wash. Plus, shop the buy two, get one free baking event and save on items like selected varieties of handy foil and good cook pans. Offer expires December 26th. Restrictions apply. Promotions may vary. Visit Safeway.com for full offer details. The United States Border Patrol has exciting and rewarding career opportunities with the nation's largest law enforcement organization. Border Patrol agents enjoy great pay, outstanding federal benefits, and up to $20,000 in recruitment incentives. If you are looking for a way to serve something greater than yourself, consider the United States Border Patrol. Learn more online at cbp.gov careers usbp. That's cbp.gov careers usbp. Placed in charge of investigation in the mur- into the murder of Amélie Delagrange, um, a French student whose body was uh, discovered on Twi- Twickenham Common. I didn't think I struggled with that as much. As no, you French did girl. the French name. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Twickenham was a real struggle. Um, so this was a three-part drama written by, as you said, Ed Whitmore, whose interview with Luke you will hear shortly. And he looks at the event- investigation and how similar attacks on young women, murders and, and, and the like were linked to this murder, including the disappearance of Millie, 
Millie Dowler, the drama climaxes with the arrest and the ultimate charging of uh, serial killer Levi Belfield with multiple murders. Now, Luke um, had an interesting relationship with this, so do you want to talk us through it? I watched them as they went out. They went out Sunday, Monday, Tuesday on ITV. Sunday night, I really struggled. I watched the first one, and I just found it... I found Martin Clunes' character, Colin Sutton, too sort of ordinary and not compelling enough at all, which is weird for me because... That's one of the things I like about Unforgotten is that the two cops at the centre, no matter how bizarre or bonkers the things going on around them, they've got their feet on the ground, they're ordinary people, but for some reason it didn't click with me. And then the second episode, I had a completely different feel about where, yes, this is the whole point. This is a real-life story. It's not heightened. It's not OTT. This is how the investigation went. I actually think by the end... I found it incredibly compelling, and I don't think it's too uh, big a statement to say. One of the best things I've seen on ITV in a long while, because actually the final episode was really chilling with when we saw what who Levi Belfield was and the, the kind of life he was living. The fact that it was true gave it this sort of real edge as well, because you, you knew all these things had happened. It felt very authentic, and I was really pleased that ITV put this on over consecutive nights because it may well be that if they'd just shown one and I had to wait a week for another I may not have gone back because for some reason that first episode wasn't paced quick enough for me but what did you think? I was very similar I thought it struggled pace wise I would disagree with you about Martin Clunes that would possibly might be my only reason for continuing because I thought he made Colin Sutton into a like a regular guy like and as you say we we've liked that before i i was also ooing and ahhing about whether to watch the second episode and i thought well if i don't i won't have as much to talk about on the podcast that was my main reason yeah. apart from maybe clunes's performance but then yeah as you say it developed more and more and i think what it did well was showing you the sort of mundanity of a police investigation Rodri Jones I thought was very good in this from Gavin and Stacey you know searching mm. through all the cameras on all the different buses and trying to get perspectives of that you know there was that bit where they were just looking over the bridges trying to see these vans the bits where they were going through all the receipts from Summerfield it wasn't all sort of glitz and glamour and running around and things like that and it felt very precise and, and a good look at a police investigation really and I think the casting was very good in that they didn't cast sort of starry faces, but people who sort of looked like normal coppers, really. Mm. Yeah, I absolutely loved it. I thought the documentary sort of take on it was very good. The giving you exact dates and times and and the mundanity of a police investigation was really one thing that I hadn't seen done as well on television before because there's always some element of dressing it up or making it slightly more dra- dramatised or whatever. But I really thought they really got the as you said, the mundanity of it down really, really well. As you said, Luke, it's definitely something, one of the best ITV dramas I've seen in a very, very long time. So what do we think? Oh, sorry, I was just going to say, generally about Martin Clunes' performance, because, I mean, I liked it from the offset. It took you a while. It did take me a while, but I think what he did well, I think it was a combination of, of different things. I think the case changed him as it, as it went on, so his character yeah. developed. And also, Ed Whitmore, the writer, sort of, was going off his diary so it felt very authentic and by the end of it I was really rooting for him I loved the scene where he goes over to where his 
his wife works and has a very <laughs> strong exchange uh, with the guy working on the Millie Dowler case. And then he gets shouted at and has to take a phone call and doesn't even blink. I thought that was brilliant. I, I respected how respectful it was of yeah. everybody involved in the case because the Millie Dowler thing still very fresh in people's minds, I'm sure. And for this to air on TV this soon, I think was a bit of a masterstroke by TV. I thought it was pretty perfect. Here's my chat with writer Ed Whitmore. Young French girl. They found her body on Twickenham Green. They want me as SIO. I can now confirm that her name was Amélie Delagrange. We give this everything we've got. All right? Let's go. You got anything solid? Not yet, sir. We got her on CCTV, go. If we have to trace 25,000 vans, then we have to trace 25,000 vans. Chance of a link to an attack near the green a few months ago. Millie Dell went missing in March 2002. Isn't it possible that there is a serial killer out there? Well, you're going to listen to that, not over me. Where do you think I work, Colin? Go. Your job is to get him off the pavement before he hurts someone else. Monsieur de Lagrange? Yes. Detective Chief Inspector Colin Sutton. First of all, how different is it writing a true story as compared to writing like a wake in the dead or a silent witness what are the different techniques you have to use that's a really good question i think leaving on one side all the massive area of sensitivity towards the real people which is a sort of different subject i think from a creative point of view what you discover is that you get more from less with a real story so for example we end the part, you know, the cliff before the commercial break is that they can't find the, um, the orange carton that they, they hoped had, the, mm. had their fingerprints and DNA on it was, mm. thrown, was thrown out. Would that be enough as a part break for a, 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 a fiction? No, I don't think so. It's just too low stakes. It's not enough of a hook. But I think we kind of got away with it because it has the currency of, of truth. Um, and, and, and that's in some ways very liberating because you're not worrying about amping it up all the time. I mean, you could probably get complacent about it and, and maybe take that too far. But, but one of the things is, is so for example, uh, there's another scene where, you know, they go to the cinema and blow up the registration numbers. Somebody tweeted and said, in, in a made up show, they would definitely get something. You know, if you were going to write the scene and you're going to take the money, there's a lot of money that to go and shoot that in that cinema and, you know, in a made-up drama, you would have some yield from that. You, they would come away with something. And in, mm. in, in real life, they came away with nothing. And in the show, they came away with nothing. But actually, people, I think, really responded to the fact that it was just a truthful depiction of, you know, there's lots of dead ends and lots of things that don't go anywhere in real life. Whereas in a drama, there's always this kind of expectation, which I adhere to, and you don't really question. In a good thriller, everything has to tie up. But of course, as you see for Manhunt, 99% of things don't tie up, they don't go anywhere. Uh, and that's the, that's the irony, really, is that plotting a thriller uh, is similar, but wildly different to the reality of, of an investigation, where you also have something which is akin to plot lines, you have lines of inquiry. In fiction, you can tie them all up. Obviously, in reality, those lines of inquiries never tie up, for the most part. A little, a little goes a lot further, uh, and, and so you don't need to kind of turn the volume up all the time. Every true story always begins with names have been changed, characters have been added. Yeah. Could you explain a bit 
more about that how much of the world you create and how much how much of it you feel was already there well i mean to be honest with you we created hardly anything there were certain people who didn't want to be named by their real name which is absolutely Mm -hmm. fair enough and that's their right and obviously we respected that in terms of what happened we were absolutely truthful and because we had colin's diaries so you know there was no reason not to be i mean for example there's a scene in episode two where the two girls are approached by belfield at the bus stop and that dialogue is exactly what he said to them and exactly what they said to him if that hadn't been a drama you'd still be a bit creeped out by it but the fact you knew it was real had it had more of an impact well somebody made a funny comment they said they said what's interesting was like it, it was it was as scary, if not scarier, than the bloke with the LED hood on Luther. <laughs> that that again shows you how a little goes a lot further. There's that moment where he seems to sort of the girls tell him to, to, to get lost and he kind of moves away from them. And then you see that moment where he, he just has to go back for another go. Colin described that in his diaries, you know, and you really feel in that moment, um, He's a predator. That's exactly what he is. He's literally like watching, you know, the lion eyeing up the gazelles and the and the, you know, the the the, the savannah and the prairie. You know, it's he's that dangerous. That sequence is exactly how it happened. And also, we spent a lot of money doing a really genuine surveillance job. Colin was all over that. He said, "I want this to be a proper to look like a what surveillance really is, which is a very complicated, orchestrated." business involving many vehicles um because you can't show your hand and um you know um i i and so we did that you know there were lots of things like that that colin was really quite rightly said i want this we're going to do this i want it to be right uh, and he was he, he was across everything every draft he was at the set you know um and he was amazing was there something that you found particularly tricky about this because of the relevance of it and the recency of it yeah, you needed to tread differently. I think there's two different things, really. The first thing is to deal with uh, the real life people who were affected in any way, um, great and small, by the case. To be honest with you, the production company dealt with that side of it more than I did. They got in touch with people uh, and and so on. So that so that side of it was kind of ongoing for me. The, the biggest challenge was the fact that we really wanted four hours. There were not four hours available. It's ironic now because, you know, ITV, um, we should have given us four hours and they couldn't. There wasn't their choice. They had no gaps in the schedule. You know, even just showing those three months of the investigation that we show, um, three, four months, um, the shrinkage of that, you know, uh, is, is so tough. And I think that's what, one of the things Colin found really hard to begin with. You know, I said to him, look, we can have a really big full incident room but we can only really have about 10 speaking detectives because the audience just literally can't take that on board mm. more than that. And they just go, yeah, they're just going to get confused to start with. I think he thought we were cutting corners or something. I said, you know, it'll be better. We'll get better actors. It'll be it'll, in the end. It'll, you know, and what's nice is we've had loads and loads of calls from coppers, retired CID officers and so on saying they're the most authentic incident room scenes they've ever seen, which is incredibly gratifying because that's what we wanted to do. You know, when I read Colin's diaries, I loved the way that he put you in the shoes of, a, of an SIO. You're standing on Twickenham Green, looking at this blood stain. You've got all these detectives looking to you for leadership, but there's no forensics. There's no obvious leads. There's no witnesses, really, that, that turn out to be helpful. What do you do? Where do you go? You know, which, which direction do you take the inquiry? And, and if, if you're wrong, what happens then? And obviously the white van becomes this huge thing. 
So I felt the intensity of that experience. I tried to do the same thing with the scripts that Colin did with his diary, which was to put you in Martin in, in Martin slash Colin's shoes and, and feel that pressure of, you know, if you don't catch this guy, someone else is going to die. You've got all these guys who respect you, but that respect is conditional on things going in the right direction. And obviously what ha- starts to happen with the white van is they go all over the country and they cannot find it. And they find out there's 25,000 of those vans and faith and trust starts to ebb away. And that, which is a horrible thing situation to be in as the, as the boss then without the sort of pressure cooker of the three consecutive nights, I'm not sure that would have come across as well as it did. It was an interesting uh, relationship I had with it because initially I struggled with Colin as a character and it was as if my affection for him grew the more the team's affection for him grew, if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. They they weren't sure of him to begin with, just as I wasn't. Yeah. And as, as I saw them embrace him, I started to embrace him as well. And by the end, he was a bit of a hero. But how do you make... I know it's Colin's story, but how do you make him not this sort of superhero detective and and keep his feet on the ground and not make it wasn't Colin Sutton brilliant? Well, I mean, I think, you know, I mean, the truth is, is that in the end, like in Colin would be the first to say that he's as human as anyone. I think he's an, an exceptional leader of, 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 of detective, leader of man. And he had that ability to, 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 to guide them through the kind of, you know, the, 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 the many, many sort of rocky periods before and after Levi was identified, because as you saw from the show, it wasn't plain sailing even after they identified him. But I think the thing about Colin is, and it's interesting what you say about you know how he sort of grows on you is that this is my experience of him as a person is that he's very nice, he's very friendly, he's very polite, um, but he's he's absolutely tenacious. He's absolutely mm. steely. He was so dedicated, but he's not dedicated in a kind of you know. TV cop in a leather jacket, shouting, driving fast yeah. way. It's in a very quiet way. And, and that's what he's like as a person. I mean, collaborating with him, you know, he was always very certain about uh, what he wanted and um, very clear-eyed and very consistent. And I think so he emerges. And, and I think, you know, what's interesting, what I really liked in your review, Luke, was you said, you know, there's the sort of the, the, there's the, the, the tension with his, with his wife. And I mean, that's the thing everyone thinks we made up. We really didn't make it up. His then wife did work as Surrey as an analyst. I mean, just extraordinary uh, coincidence. You know, his frustration when she's removed from Millie is a little bit self-centered because he's thinking about the, the fact he might be able to get information out of it. I actually love that. It was like, oh, that's a real shame and a real Well, that, that's, the, you know, I think that's where we showed, if you like, the, the, the steely side of Colin, yeah. which, which is, definitely exists. And I've heard nothing back from Surrey about Millie. When you offer up a suspect that solid, you expect to hear something. You've got a new lead? You're asking the wrong person. I mean, officially removed from the Millie Inquiry. You're kidding. Junior analyst has taken over. They think I'll leak to you over the dinner table. Not that I recall the last time we actually sat down for dinner. That's a pain. What? You being taken off Millie. You are unbelievable. I just told you I've been demoted in all but name. And all you can think of is yourself. No, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. It's outrageous the way they've treated you. It's outrageous and unfair. Yeah. And also you're playing with Martin Clune's persona to some extent as well, because Martin is even, he's amazing in Manhunt, but he's still 
brings to it people have those associations that Martin is a very, he's always plays a sort of nice character. Or, he's all, he's got a, a warm, trusting presence oh, on screen. Exactly. Obviously. obviously, Dark Martin's not he's not exactly nice, but you know what I mean. It's not. This is very yeah. different for him. You know what I mean. It's very different for him. I think what's interesting is how people kind of gradually realise that actually, you know, Colin they, they forgot about Martin and they and they and they and they sort of saw the performance on its, uh, sort of on its own two feet, if you like. And, 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 and we kind of gradually, the layers, the onion skin layers peel away. And you do see how steely he is. And, 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 and you know, in, in the reality, Colin was on that case for years because obviously there was the trial. They then, they then pressed charges on Millie Dowler and, and other offences. It consumed years of his life and he had the kind of temperament to, you know, to take that. Do you know how he, how Colin felt about Martin? The United States Border Patrol has exciting and rewarding career opportunities with the nation's largest law enforcement organization. Border Patrol agents enjoy great pay, outstanding federal benefits, and up to $20,000 in recruitment incentives. If you are looking for a way to serve something greater than yourself, consider the United States Border Patrol. Learn more online at cbp.gov careers slash usbp. That's cbp.gov slash careers slash USBP. Discover, this is Daniela. Hi, it's Jennifer Coolidge. I just want to thank you for making me feel so special. I earned cash back on debit for my dinner party groceries. That's great. But with Discover Cashback Debit, we give everyone cash back on everyday purchases. Anything else I can help you with? Do you like asparagus and mushroom sorbet? I've got leftovers. Introducing Discover Cashback Debit, a checking account with cash back. It pays to discover. Eligibility in terms at discover.com slash cashback debit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Martin's portrayal. What was his... Absolutely over the moon. He's thrilled. Because I think what he did was he caught the essence of Colin without trying to do a kind of, you know, caricature of him or a copy of him. Because, I mean, physically they look quite different. He caught all his mannerisms. And the essence of him, really, you know, which is more important in a way than, than getting the mannerisms. It's the sort of essence of him. And he has that quality where... People might underestimate him a little bit. You know, while you're sleeping, he's stolen a march on you. He's kind of almost wants you to underestimate him because then, you know, he's, he, he kind of creeps up and, and, and suddenly he's, he's out in front. And I think he, got, he caught that about Colin, you know, masterfully. And, and Colin's thrilled with it. I mean, it was one of those things where sometimes people take a view with real people or consultants or people who have been involved with a real story, which is that they kind of, at a certain point, they want them to sort of, you know, back off. We never felt that way about Colin. We always wanted him, you know, he's just too much his story. That would have been crazy for us to do that. He was across everything uh, from the, from the right through to the editing. Um, and, 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 you know, I think um, that was, that was benefited us. And it was also the right thing to do. Have you told your friends about this podcast? Okay, here we go. No. It's just not my idea of a good time. Tell them now. That's what the people want to hear. This is the Custard TV podcast. Good to the last drop. From thecustardtv.com. Another ITV drama, um, a new one, six-parter, uh, cleaning up. Um, I don't know, Stephen, do you want to run us through the plot of this quickly? Yeah. You reviewed it for the website. This one follows a working-class mom called Sam who works as a cleaner in the stockbroker's office in Canary Wharf. And I guess the plot of the drama is really that she's conflicted over whether or not she should act on sacred stock information that she's accidentally learned while cleaning. Because she's a gambling addict and um, she needs this money. I suppose that's the other thing, isn't she? She's a gambling addict and is running out of money. She owes thousands and thousands of pounds because of her problem. Um, and her ex-husband sort of breathing down her neck, wanting full custody of the children. So this sort of insider trading would 
be the only way she can see to, to sort of pay off all these debts. Yeah. I'm really glad Stephen's with us this week because it gives the podcast more of a balanced view because, as you can tell if you've read his review on the website, he really enjoyed it and I really didn't. Can so you tell it... us why, Stephen, you enjoyed it so much? It really took me by surprise. I've never really had that relationship with Sheridan Smith that a lot of people seem to have. Not that I don't like her, I just haven't really seen her in a lot before. But I thought she was really great in that. I thought the character dilemma, the amount of problems that the writers put on her, which then ultimately forced her to make this criminal decision, I, I just thought the whole concept was very original. I get why everybody thought it was a little bit more melodramatic, and it was. I, I watched, caught a bit of it again while it was on, and I can see why everybody thought that. But I don't know. I've watched a lot of long, drawn-out, as we were talking about earlier, dramas where it didn't really hook you after the first episode. And because I thought the pace of this was so on the money, pun intended, I, <laughs> well done. I, I, I will come back for the next episode. I'm really excited to see where it goes. I hope it lives up to how much I enjoyed the first one. It might not. I'm not expecting a lot from it. But I, yeah, because of the pacing really won and over for me. I do have that relationship with Sheridan Smith that everybody talks about. She's not aware of it, but in time... <laughs> Time Me and you have been in her company an awful lot over yes. the years, haven't you? Yes. I mean, my first press screening I ever went to was for Mrs. Biggs. I nearly ended up sitting on her lap at a, at a Jonathan <laughs> Creek thing. But yeah, anyway. you interviewed her, haven't you, for, yeah. for the Jonathan Creek but, yeah, yeah, special and, she and was for in. other stuff. Anyway, I struggled because the job of the first episode, I suppose, is to put all the key players in position for things to happen later on along the series, and the issue I had with this is I could see what they were doing and how they were positioning people, and I could see what was going on. I also didn't think that Sheridan Smith's character was that likable, which I think yeah. is incredibly key uh, with something like this because you've got to you've got to worry about her, you know, going forward. You've got to worry about the way the crime is going to affect her and her family. I thought the supporting roles for Matthew McNulty as this sort of father taking away the kids wasn't that compelling. thought the kids were very stage school. It, it just left me feeling a bit cold. I, I'm sort of with you on a lot of this, that I don't quite know why, why we are rooting for Sam, because she's got herself in this situation, really, with the, the gambling addiction. And I know it's a, it's, you know it is a problem for people, but her ex-husband, the Matthew McNulty character, is painted as the villain, but he seems to me... You know, he, he wants his kids because he's worried about them because they're living with mum who's got this serious problem and is sort of, of costing them this money and things like that. And I find it hard to have sympathy for her. I mean, the, the other character in this is her friend um, Jess. Um, and I, I actually was thinking it would be more compelling. She's a more likeable character if it was turned around on her because she's got more motivation for me on wanting this money. You know, she's trying to start this sort of cafe business She's got a, a brother who I believe is in a hospital or something like that in a care home. And she has to live with uh, Theo Bartland Biggs, which which is a struggle no, for anyone. No, really. no one should have to um, None of it really rang true. And, and the focus seemed to be on the wrong people, mm. on the characters that we just didn't want to root for. And the fact that this is this this has to run over six parts, I can't see. Especially because of how much they've already accomplished in the first episode. Mm. Like, I don't know how they're going to stretch the material out for another five. Yeah, it just didn't ring true for me, and I'm, I'm not going to carry on with this. Stephen, you obviously are, and Luke. I think ultimately, for me, it lacked any depth 
is is probably what it was. A, it was about a woman doing insider trading uh, to get more money, and that is literally what it was about. You know, I mentioned Breaking Bad earlier. The strapline for that is a guy with cancer. You know, becomes a drug dealer and a meth meth maker to support his family but it's not about that it's about the world and what happens and the family and and i felt like um cleaning up was just very very thinly drawn interestingly going on to another um show with a single mum called sam better things luke now i know you're a big fan of this series so do you want to just yeah. uh, talk us through the the basic plot of this i shall do uh, this is a new u.s sitcom with common sit instead of a, a commas if you like speech marks uh this is loosely based on star pamela adlon's real life she plays sam here loosely based on her life she's an actress and she's a working mum raising her three daughters of varying age uh she, she lives next door to her mother played by celia imry because her mother in real life is is uh is british and that's basically it it's about um, a working mother raising three who's a jobbing daughters. actress i suppose who's a jobbing it? actress she's sort of in the show and in real life has been working as an actress sort of from a young age and just does bit parts in things it's raved about in the u.s by critics not necessarily massively watched it's on fx which is why we're getting it here as part of the fx and bbc2 collaboration it's been two years since i've seen these first two episodes and actually I found them funnier than I remember finding them originally when I watched them again for the sake of the podcast. I, I find the world really authentic because it is based on a life. It's not a sitcom in the same way, something like The Big Bang Theory, Modern Family yeah. are really, really enjoyable and really got something to say about itself, I think. This, this would be my kind of comedy. I'm, I'm not really a sitcom-y person. I mean, other than a select few. The genre doesn't often do a lot for me. I prefer these like cable type comedies where it's not necessarily laugh out loud scenarios, but more of an exaggerated drama scenario. I thought the characters were brilliant. There's heart, which I think is a big thing that a lot of comedies don't have. I really liked Celia Emery's character. I thought Pamela Adlon was just wonderful. I'm not going to watch it weekly. I'm. I really want to sit down and watch this all in one go. I really like this. I mean, for me, the the main criticism would be that it's far too short. I mean, they're only yeah. twenty minutes, and I think BBC have really missed a trick by not doing two. And I'm not quite sure yeah. why they're not doing two because that's what they did with um, Atlanta, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, I mean, this um, this would ideally suit having two in a row, um, maybe because. They want to do just one a week of the 10 because they, I mean, there is a second season as well that's already had. The third one is out in February, I believe, yeah. in the second States. second season has some amazing moving things that, yeah. I mean, it's been up for Emmys and it's, I don't know how whether it's won any, but it's, uh, but, it's a critical yeah. darling. I mean, you could make a lot of, compa or some comparisons between this and cleaning up because, you know, you've got yeah. these daughters and in this they felt a lot more real. They were defined characters from the first episode, you know, you've got this sort of the stroppy teenager who's, you know, often smoking cannabis. You've got this Who sort she of... Want, which she wants her mum to buy for yeah. her. And she's like, hide <laughs> yeah. things from me, please. Can I ask you something? No. <laughs> you know what? Never mind. You'll just freak out. Okay, you don't have to, but now you know you're going to. Could you get pot for me? What? Gabby Schuster's mom told her if she ever wanted to smoke pot, she'd get it for her. Like, don't you want me to have clean, organic pot? 
You should want me to have good nugs. Good nugs? I don't even know what to say. That's amazing. I don't know how to get pot. I don't even know where to get. Gabby Schuster's mom said that to you? Okay, that's great. I can't even get grand pot for her arthritis. How about this? No, no, Max. I'm not going to get you pot. It's so easy, Sorry. Mom. You oh. get a prescription. You just have to be oh. 18. Max, honey, can we just go back to the regular hard things like school supplies? You should be happy I'm honest with you. I could just get it and not tell you. Oh, yeah. Well, that might be a little better. Seriously? Yeah. These things are normal, but you should be ashamed of them. Why? A little You're... bit. You're my mom. I want you to know if I have sex or if I want to get high. Ah! No! Hide things from me! Please! It is really warm, uh, really funny, laugh out loud moments. Yeah, just, just really enjoyed it. Um, and I, I, like Stephen, would say I, I would like to binge it, but BBC yeah. are being stingy with it. And I don't <laughs> think they're, they're not even sort of putting it on the iPlayer yeah. for people who do want to watch them all right now like they have done with with other FX. I think they did that with Trust, didn't they? So, yeah, so better things uh, Thursday night. Um, yeah, at 10 o'clock. It seems a bit weird. It's just sort of, like, as you say, it's there on its own. I've not seen an ad for it, and I've been watching the BBC. No, I had no idea. It was so, well, I, yeah. I knew it was coming because we talked about it, didn't we, when we were talking about the FX news and things like that. That's what, when we're going to be getting Pose and the, and the What We Do in the Shadows TV series and things like that, but... You know, you get into this world straight away. And I think even though, you know, you've got this character who is a jobbing actress, I think it's universal, the themes of like this sort of single parent trying to raise these three daughters. It, is a, it feels like a relatable show, even though the characters might seem a little bit outlandish at times. And, and Celia Imri as well is sort of She's a revelation. really good. Yeah. Pulling back the curtain, as we like to do on the podcast occasionally, we have access to watch it all. Are you going to take advantage of yes. that, both of you? Yeah, I am. Yeah. Definitely. Brilliant. Better Things, Thursdays at 10. One of my favourite shows from the US, and I'm so glad that you both enjoyed it. Uh, it's on BBC Two. Check it out now, and it uh, it is something quite special. This is the Custard TV Podcast. And finally, in the reviews, we've got um, Sex Education. It's another sort of relative newcomer, Laurie Nunn, who's, who's written this. Um, it follows the exploits of a character played by Asa Butterfield, the uh, son of a um, famous sex therapist played by Gillian Anderson. It starts on the first day of his um, being at sixth form. He sort of ends up in the family business thanks to the sort of entrepreneurial um, skills of um, the college bad girl, Maeve. She's sort of the financial aspect of it, sees that he has actually got this gift for therapy, really, and, and helping people along in their relationships. But I suppose the thing going forward is the fact that Otis, the Ace Butterfield character, starts to develop feelings for Maeve. That's the, that's the other side of the story, really. The students at the school need your help, and we need their money. I'll deal with the business end of things, and you can do the therapy. Therapy? Yeah, sex therapy. Like your mum. Ah, sex therapist. This could be awesome. Wait, it could be popular. I might have a mild to moderate crush on me. My pubes are out of control. I wish I could be a normal kid with a normal dad, with a normal dick. 
What kind of man do you want to be? What kind of man do you want me to be, Dad? You can't choose who you're attracted to. You can't engineer a relationship. I don't believe in love. You are who you are. And don't let anyone take that away from you. I still think it's a way to teenage boys a sex therapist. I didn't like it, and I'm I'm annoyed I didn't like it because there's so much possibility there. And again, I'm in the minority. Every other review I've seen, bar one, I think, really it says it's the next big thing and it's offers something different and something exciting. First of all, I found it really disorientating because I've never seen a show set in the UK that feels so not like it was set in the UK, if that makes sense. Mm. I got hung up on daft things like, why is nobody wearing a school uniform? Where's this supposed to be? Where is the school? I thought the dialogue in places was horrendous. The the guy who um, we find out has impotence through smoking drugs, he just refers to Asa Butterfield's character, Otis, as new kid or, you know, whatever, all the way through. And that really rankled at me and it, it did I got to the end and it was a struggle and I did have that moment of wrestling again of should I watch another one should I give this more time it's only the opening episode but no I, I don't think I should really it should have gripped me then and there and um you two had the option to watch more so did you take the opportunity I did because I know I knew you'd only watch the one and I thought, I'll, I'll, I'll soldier on and see how far I go. And I actually did three. And actually, um, it does improve. And that's primarily thanks to um, the character of Maeve, who is by yeah. and far the most sort of compelling and intriguing character. I thought the, uh, the performance um, by Emma Mackey as, as Maeve was brilliantly done. I mean, in the second episode, she finds out she's pregnant. In the third episode, she goes for an abortion. And all that is really well done. Um, but I would agree with you, the sort of the Americanization of it. I mean, of the three of us, you're the only one who has actually been to school in both the UK and the US. So you would you would say yeah. that this is this is yeah. feels much more like US. I would almost it almost felt to me and I know it not to be the case, but it almost felt to me like an American had written it and thought, I want to give it a bit of a twist and set mm. it in England. Mm-hmm. But actually, it wasn't that. It was an English writer writing it with a lot of other English writers yeah. in a writer's room. And they called it in the press release that I received a, a, a British love letter to the American high school comedy. Mm. But it just it just disoriented Because you've got this, like, sw- this sort of massive swimming pool in the school. I mean, it's the sixth form, so... Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. You know. Did but they've you, all got, you, like, letter jackets on. Like, yeah, like Morris out of Saved yeah. by the Bell. Yeah. Um, and I found the episode length, 50 minutes, I found too a little long. bit too long as well. Yeah. If it had been half an hour. And everyone sees th- different things in different shows. And as you say, sometimes you have to persevere with them. Because mm. I know l- last year... 
everything sucks we were more into it than a lot of other people myself and you because we persevered to that fourth episode but the episodes were a lot shorter so it was a lot less time to commit to and I didn't find Asa Butterfield a particularly compelling lead I, I really enjoyed him in other things there's a film called X and Y which he's brilliant in playing this like autistic maths genius um, but here he didn't feel that compelling Gillian Anderson seemed to be an entirely different show to everyone else <laughs> playing it really she really was in big. Wonderlust is yeah, what she was really in. big as, um, as the mum and they tried to give her a bit of sort of backstory later on in looking how the parents relationship separated and things like that Stephen how far did you get on this I got the same as you Matt I got episode three yeah and uh, I'm completely in agreement with both of you as the tone threw me off at the beginning the whole aesthetic of the show the vibrant colors the lack of uniform and then I, I thought it was American and then when they started speaking I was completely threw off and by the time I got to the end of the first episode I didn't see myself carrying on and then I just decided to give it another shot. And at about maybe halfway through the second episode, edging into the third episode, I really did start to enjoy certain elements of it. Mm-hmm. I agree with you, Matt. It's the Maeve character that I was definitely most drawn to. And I quite like the dynamic between her and Otis. The, you're right, Gillian Anderson stuff did feel like it was in a bit of a separate show. Occasionally, I felt like they were, remember, this is also a comedy. So they just have her in it for the sake of it. Mm-hmm. But the drama elements of it, I thought, were quite good. And if you sort of accept that it takes place in a not realistic I version of England or Britain. Like then, it's a black mirror type. Exactly. Of yeah. Universe. Perfectly described. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Then it's, it's interesting, but I do feel like that they were aware of the fact that this, even though it's a British, I was going to say drama, but drama day, I feel like they were very much aware of the fact that this was going out worldwide on Netflix on the same day. And they were mm. appe- appealing more to like an American audience more so than just us. And it is, you're right, that sort of imbalance of tone that you brought up between the drama and the comedy, but the dramatic elements work a lot more than yeah. the, the comedic elements. I mean, as you say, that that second episode, I agree with you, where things started. The scene that worked the most there was where she took that pregnancy test and then she just looked at herself yeah. looked herself in the mirror and went, you idiot, and left left the bathroom. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought that worked really well. And, and the stuff in the abortion clinic and you say the relationship there between Otis and, and Maeve works really well. But the concept of him constantly having to give therapy to people, no matter where where he is. <laughs> yeah. And I didn't believe his friendship as well with Eric. I, I didn't feel like these are two characters who would who would be friends because Eric is ultra annoying and I didn't warm to that character at all. And, and um, Otis is much more sort of chilled out and everything. And, and I just didn't believe that these two people would be friends, even in this weird high school alternate universe. I think as it went on, I, I, I believed it a little more, but I completely agree with you. They didn't strike me as two people who would have been best friends. I knew the premise was you know, classmate becomes sex therapist to his peers. But it took ages to get there. And I by by the time it got there I was like, I don't really I don't really care. That's the thing, it isn't for the most part him doing it for financial gain. It's mainly for like just randomly giving this advice to people who he meets at the house party and then Mm. he meets at the and again it's got that issue for me of being very middle class again oh we're in the minority because as i say a lot of people i respect to follow on twitter and and converse with have the complete opposite yeah maybe they've watched the entire series and because i think each episode steven did get better so by the end it may may have been but i just think there was too many sort of things 
working against it for us that even in the moments where we went oh yeah this is a good show and as I say I, I really I hopefully Emma Mackey who played Maeve we will see more things because it's I a bit like, like the styling of her though she looked no. a bit like the girl out of um, is it Suicide Squad or whatever and, oh Harley yeah. Quinn yeah a little bit yeah but I think as you sort of see her backstory and things like that I mean she's she uh, lives in this static caravan on her own and you, um, she reveals that her mum's a drug addict and things like that. You get a bit more... You see that this it is... It does made... sound like it had more heart in the mm. rest of it than yeah. the, the yeah. one I saw. Yeah. Yeah. But, it, but equally, it doesn't make me think, oh, I'm going to then persevere because no. I, I watched it. If we hadn't been watching it for the podcast, I may not have even got to the... Cause yeah. it, was such that a, first, I, it was a slog, I agree with you. I, I did it in, in sort of sections, I think. I, I did, like, three sections together. And and I've never seen a show where I didn't know where it was and I no. didn't know... I only knew what time period we were in because of some of the references yeah. they used. But it could have been the 80s, it could have mm-hmm. been the early 90s, it could have been the 70s. It was really jarring, me. the like Americanization of it, when someone like Joe Wilkinson popped up in, in the third episode. And, I'm like, and Shabnam from each Shabnam and Cindy. Did the sexual content of it affect you in any way? Was it too sort of explicit? I mean, we sort of knew what we were getting with the title like that, but... Were you ever sort of perturbed or put off by it, Stephen, at any point? The first episode, it was quite explicit, and I don't mm. mind things being explicit if it needs to be explicit, but I don't think it needed to be like I that. Think, after, after I think the off. opening scene being two yeah. people you know, having sex was yeah. a bit much. I yeah. think, But I think almost the sort of approach to it was almost sort of childlike, which exactly. I think was yeah. an intentional... Thing, you know, without all that sex, it could easily have been a CBBC show in some yeah. respects. Yeah. Sex Education Worldwide on Netflix. Watch it now and let us know either via Twitter at Custard TV Pod. Let us know what you think because it'd be interesting to see it from the other side and and uh, how long you managed to, to stay with it. You know, Sex Education on Netflix. We'd love to hear from you. Drop us an email CustardTVReviews at gmail.com. And now it's time to give our guest a complex. Thank <laughs> you. If you heard last week's episode, I yeah. think um, um, Michael's still in a, in a facility yeah. somewhere. I don't, yeah, I don't think he's left the house. <laughs> so this is our ultimate TV quiz where the guest has a chance to show off or not, in the case of Michael in, in places, uh, their TV knowledge in the ultimate TV quiz, this is the second edition of Boxmaster. Okay, let's begin. So I sort of tipped you off this time, <laughs> unlike Michael, who I didn't give any warning to last week. Uh, Stephen was aware he was going to take part in the quiz. And uh, I asked you what you would like your specialist subjects to be. Now, before you replied, I'd have thought maybe um, EastEnders or Kelly Bright in EastEnders <laughs> or Unforgotten. But no, you went with The Handmaid's Tale and uh, the Sally, uh, Sally Wayne White masterpiece, Happy Valley. So, yeah. of those two, which do you feel the most confident on? I am going to go with Happy Valley. Okay. 
your funeral. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay, so here we go. Ten questions in all, uh, and the bonuses make up those ten. So, yes, here we go. So, question one. Alex Polizzi is better known as who in the title of her Channel 5 series? Um, I have absolutely no idea. Would you like to guess? No, not really. <laughs> okay, don't attitude already. You're not a good stuff. Um, Matt, what do you do? You know the answer? Yeah, it's the hotel inspector, isn't it? The hotel inspector. Yes. I had no Question. idea. <laughs> Question two then. Breaking Bad. We've mentioned it several times this this episode. Is often credited as one of the best TV shows to ever be made. But where in the which U.S. state is the series set in? Mexico, New Mexico. You know, yeah, I'm gonna give you that. New Mexico. Mm. I'm gonna give you that. Yes, that's absolutely fine. So, you chose Happy Valley as your bonus question. So here's the first bonus question. What is the profession of Catherine's ex-husband? who we meet in series one. He's a journalist. He is a journalist. Well done, he is. Next question then. Who replaced Amanda Redman as the female lead in the BBC's long-running series New Tricks? Amelia Fox. Oh no, wait, sorry. Oh, I was thinking you meant, sorry, I thought you meant silent witness. That's Amanda Burton. Uh, New Tricks. I honestly have no idea. It's You're not. It's not Anthony. It's not it is. Well done. <laughs> that was amazing. I was going to say you were going to kick yourself if you, when I told you that. Well done. You're steaming through these. Thank you very much. This is a tricky one. You may have to guess. In which year did the final episode of BBC One's landmark music series Top of the Pops air? The final episode. Oh. What uh, year did it come to an end? Was it 2004? I would so say close. 2006. Oh. Yes, Matt, but you don't get any <laughs> no. points for that, unfortunately. <laughs> Happy Valley, we're back to you again. Sarah Lancashire and Sivorn Finneran play sisters in the BBC One series, but in which other show did they appear as work colleagues? Oh, I have no idea. I did not know they were in something together. You're going to kick yourself because we've discussed it. He's already kicked himself once. Oh, oh yeah, no, he stopped from kicking himself. Trying, he's he's, got... well, it's going to be black and blue if he carries on. Yeah. Oh, yeah. um, it's, clock, it's clocking off. Who voiced the Highway Rat in the BBC's 2017 animation? Oh god. Um, I honestly have no idea. Please tell me I'm not going to kick myself again. <laughs> no, I, I didn't. <laughs> I don't want to send it, you to the. Is it James Corden? It's not, no, okay. it's David Tennant. Um... <laughs> Bit of an easy one, I think, but possibly not. Number, okay. Question seven. 
BGT, Britain's Got Talent, launched in 2007, but who is missing from the original judging panel? Simon Cowell, Amanda Holden, and who? I don't think I watched Britain's Got Talent at the very beginning. God, I mean, I know I'm going to kick myself over this one. Uh, <laughs> you need to see a doctor after this. <laughs> I will need to see a doctor after this. God, um, yeah, I'm going to have to pass. I honestly don't know. Okay. Piers Morgan. Oh, draft, you're right. I will, will kick myself over that one. <laughs> Question eight. Pete and Sue were parents to Karen, Ben and Jake in which BBC comedy? Um, I'm going to have to pass. I don't know. It's outnumbered. Ah, I was actually going to say that. <laughs> going back to Happy Valley then, this is for three points as all the bonus questions are. No, bonus, are. Points is, uh, bonus questions are six points. Don't worry, um, oh, Stephen, I'm okay. doing the scoring. So you're I know doing how the scoring, okay. <laughs> So in the first series of Happy Valley, what crime was uh, Tommy Lee Royce originally imprisoned for? Oh... Was it? Oh no! Was it? <laughs> we we don't give people complexes on yeah. this. Yeah. Mm, was it theft? It was drugs possession. Ah. Question ten. I don't know whether you're too young for this, and I don't know whether to change it, but I'm going to take a punt on it. What is the logo on the blue Peter badge? Uh, I have no idea, but I'm going to guess. Is it? It's not a bird, is it? It's a ship. Oh. So, uh, Michael, uh, who was the first contestant on this, scored 12, and Mr. Scorekeeper, where did um, did Stephen come? Also 12, after a promising start there. Okay, so you're neck and neck on the leaderboard at the moment. <laughs> And I think you've both got the same complex now. Yeah, yes, I think yeah. we do. I'm, I'm, I'm I'll give you his details. We'll, we'll be able to set up a sort of um, anonymous society before the end yeah. of the, the year. It's, we're going to be able to set up therapy for yeah, you both. Yeah, group yeah. therapy. That's what we're doing the Patreon for. The money will go towards <laughs> therapy for anyone who takes part in Boxmaster. 12 points. <laughs> To be fair, you are neck and neck with the only other person to play the game. Joint, joint leaders at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> that makes you feel better. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Mind you, I think if you spoke to Michael, he's probably rocking back and forth in a room somewhere. Yeah. I will be on behind him, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> also, you can reach out to all of us on Twitter. Um, Matt is at MadsTVBytes and at CustardTVPod. That's where you'll find me as well, with at LukeCustardTV being my primary account. And Stephen, you can find his reviews on the website. And what is your Twitter name? Uh, Mr. Underscore SJ Patterson. It just occurred to me, should we have been calling you Mr. Stephen Patterson throughout <laughs> no, of this? We should... Not at all. <laughs> Definitely <laughs> not after the Boxmaster. Sir <laughs> yeah, to you now. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Um, if you want to, you can reach out on us there. If you've got any suggestions for what we can watch on the rewatch or the rewind, 
or the re whatever we're calling it at the moment or you want to s- submit your own boxmaster questions that you think could either help or hinder the next person to play get in touch there and um, we'll have a look at them we're on spotify we're on stitcher we're on the tune in app or you can listen uh, via the cost of tv.com as well and as as Luke said, you can contact us on Twitter or on Facebook or by the email custardtvreviews at gmail.com. So it's bye from me. And uh, goodbye from me. See you next week. But how do you say bye? The quarter line I use in a lot of my reviews, I will bid you adieu. Oh, nice. <laughs> Thank you. Rate and review us wherever you find us. I think that it's programs like this that help people realize that they're not alone. Search The Custard TV on YouTube, iTunes, and Facebook. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.